I want to cover a topic that we need to cover, okay? I want to cover a topic that is having immense impact in our culture today, okay? How many of you understand that right now there is a war on the gender, okay? Male and female, right? They're trying to draw or erase the lines of distinction that God has made between men and women. Amen. He's tried the, the culture, the enemy. When I say he, I'm talking about he, our adversary, the devil. What does he like to do? The Bible says that the enemy comes what? The thief comes to do what? Steal, to kill, and to destroy. Amen. And if you don't understand what's going on in our culture right now, they are stealing our identity. They are robbing us and trying to force upon us things that do not jive with reality. Amen? What's going on right now? And I felt like I needed to bring this up tonight, and I'm glad you're recording, right? Good. Okay, he's recording the good thing about this is we can talk about it, and I ain't afraid to preach about it. And by golly, there isn't anything in this book that I'm afraid to talk about. Amen? So we're going to talk about it tonight. And for those people who may not have come tonight, they can go back and watch this, or they can watch it from where they're at, because this is important. And you're going to want to take some notes, because the realities of what's going on in our culture are stemming from a lack of identity in who we are. Today we have men being shamed into not being men. We have men being shamed. They call it toxic masculinity. Anything that distinguishes a man from being a woman is absolutely against the cultural norm right now. Anything that would distinguish a woman from a man is against the cultural norm this morning. I saw on Facebook a few months ago when they were talking about people having babies. And it was a pregnancy center. When people have babies. No, you cannot take the pronoun away from women because biologically only women have babies. This is fundamental fact. Amen? It is retarded, and I'm going to use that word, okay? It is retarded, and when I say it's retarded, what I mean is it is absolutely slowing down the progress of biblical truth to say that women don't just have babies, people have babies. No, women have children. Men are absolutely incapable of having children. It is genetically, fundamentally, truthfully impossible. Amen? Come on, let's, let's be real tonight. We're fighting a culture war, and the culture war we're losing because the church is spineless and will not stand on biblical truth that says, although men and women are 
equal in Christ, they do not and are not the same distinct roles. They are two different types of people. Amen? Both made in the image of God, both equal in God's sight, but distinct, with distinct roles within the family, within the church. Amen? We have got to get back to biblical Christianity. We have got to get back to the Bible informing my worldview. Right? Not the world. The world doesn't dictate this. Okay? They can say all day long that people have babies. The truth is only women, people with ovaries and uteruses have children. Men do not possess ovaries or uteruses. So for all of you that needed a lesson on biology, this is for you. Amen? The realities that we face in this culture today are stemming from the church moving away from biblical worldviews. It is absolutely fundamentally true that men are different than women. It's a fact. They can lie to themselves all they want. I can walk around, watch this. I'm going to show you something. <clears throat> I'm blue, I'm blue, I'm blue, I'm blue, I'm blue, I'm blue. Did it change reality? No, it didn't. I'm old, white, and short. Okay? Watch this. I'm 6'5", I'm 6'5", I'm 6'5". Didn't work. You know why? Because I'm not 6'5". And that's reality. Amen? If your worldview denies fundamental reality, not only do you not believe science, you don't believe truth of any kind. And this is where the culture is going. This is where evangelical culture is headed. Because now, evangelical culture says it's okay for a gay woman to pastor a church. Or it's okay to raise children in homosexual homes and force homosexuality on the children. Not only force it on the children, at home, but force it on children in school and on cereal boxes. All because we won't stand on God's word. Now tonight I'm going to talk about a subject that's very sensitive to a lot of people. And I'm going to call a spade a spade and if you don't like it, you can send me hate mail, you can send us uh, terrible messages on Facebook. You can write bad reviews on our church. I don't care. But the reality is anything that gets outside of God's word when it comes to men and women and their roles in the home and in the church, anything outside of God's word is a lie. And if we're trying to paint women into positions they don't deserve to be in or aren't equipped to be in, and then try to put men in roles that they're not supposed to be in, trying to fulfill obligations that are not theirs, we are doing a disservice to the home 
and the enemy has surely crept in and stolen our identity. He has killed the nuclear family and he has destroyed gender barriers that are absolutely fundamental to us living our life in Christ. And that's the truth. So I want to look at a topic tonight. The topic is men's role of leadership in the home. Okay? And there's going to be people out there. And I'm going to use some words that you're going to have to learn some terms as the head of his wife. These are scriptures words, not mine. Amen? So we're going to start walking through some verses tonight, and it's going to be uncomfortable. But the realities that we are seeing in our culture are a direct result of ignoring God's word on this subject of male and female. Of he made them both in the image of God, but he made them distinctly different. Not unequal, different. Amen? So let's look at a few verses. I'm going to start in Ephesians chapter 5. Turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 5. And nearly every single Bible that is printed today, this portion of scripture has a title on it, okay? When you go to verse 22, what does your Bible have as a heading, Mike? Instructions for marriage. That's the Holman King James Study Bible. And its heading is Instructions for Marriage, right? Now, the ESV Study Bible that I have says Husbands and Wives. So, it's the same thing. We're talking about the marriage relationship, right? Now, what does yours say? Wives and Husbands. What does the little ESV Bible say? Do they say anything? Walk in love. Oh, man, they're being real cordial on that one, aren't they? I was hoping somebody would have an NIV so we could compare that too, but it's okay. Let's read this. I want you to note, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also should wives submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might, be sanct uh, that he might sanctify her 
having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish in the same way. Can we stop right here? What's the King James say right there? Verse 28, right there, very beginning. So ought men. That's the 1611 version of what I just read. In the same way, husbands, right? So men ought to love their wives. That's what the King James says, right? Right. So it's saying the same thing, right? We're seeing a distinction. So we understand the analogy that he just gave about Christ and the church is an example not only of how wives are to submit to uh, Christ or the husband like the church submits to Christ, but the husband is to deny himself and love his wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. We understand this everything. In verse 20, uh, 25, 26, and 27 is an analogy for marriage, okay? It's an analogy for husbands and wives, right? Some people will twist this and say, oh, he's talking about the church in Christ. No, listen to what he says in verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now, when it says in the same way or so ought men to love their wives, what it's saying is just like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for, this is how husbands act. Amen? Amen? Now, come on. Let's get, let's get real. We're going to talk about this, right? Now, let's finish. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respect her husband. Now I want to read a little note here. Just on this. Verse 22. I have a note on verse 22. It says this. Submit. Paul's first example of general submission from verse 21 is uh, the right ordering of marriage relationships. See also Colossians 3.18 and 1 Peter 3, 1-7, which we are going to look at, okay? So we're not going to turn there yet. The submission of wives is not like that as children in obedience to their parents, nor does this text command all women to submit to all men, no, to submit to your own husbands, not to all husbands. So what is he trying to say here? 
Disorder is not to say that when Judy comes in this building, she is in subjection to every husband in this room. No, she's in subjection to her own husband. And that doesn't mean when Judy comes in here that she's in subjection to every man in the room. No, she's in subjection to her own husband. Amen. She's in submission to him and him only. Why? Because that's the order of the family. And we're going to get to it. We're going to get to the reason of why it's the order of the family, okay? We're going to go through this really slowly and get it done, amen? I'm going to finish this note and then I'm going to move on. Uh, Both genders are equally created in God's image, Genesis 1, 26 through 28, and heirs together of eternal life, Galatians 3, 28 through 29. This submission is in difference to the ultimate leadership of the husband for the health and harmonious working of the marriage relationship. That's the purpose of the submission. Now watch this. Husbands is the head of the wife. Did you miss that in there? I want you to go back and read verse 22 with me. 22 and 23. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Notice it says your own, right? Doesn't it say that in the King James too? Your own husbands. is not every husband, not every man, your man, right? Now, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. That's an important statement, as to the Lord. It's as if you're submitting to them because and for Christ. Not because they're perfect, but because Christ is perfect. And that's who you're actually submitting to. Amen? Now, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, I want you to notice this phrase. The husband is the head of the wife. Because later on, we're going to talk about 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where it talks about head coverings. And these head coverings are obvious analogies also of the headship order. They're actually talking about head coverings. They are, historically. But it's also pointing out what we're reading right here. It says these same words in 1 Corinthians 11 that man is the head of the wife. Okay? And the context there, people go, oh, it's just talking about head coverings. No, it's talking about authority. And I can prove it. Now, here it uses the same terminology, and he's not talking about head coverings here at all. Right? We're not talking about head coverings. We're talking about relationship. We're talking about the household. Right? What's your heading say again? Instructions for marriage. Mine says wives and husbands. Right? So we got to understand here the context is marriage and the marriage relationship. And in this context, he says the husband is the head of the wife. Plain and simple. So anybody that says, oh, the husband's not the head of the wife, they are absolutely telling you directly contradicting what Scripture here says. It's unfathomable. It's like, it's like, God saying, uh, let's, let's just think about one thing. Jesus, his, 
death was an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's exactly what scripture says, isn't it? There's a guy that goes around town right now saying, no, Jesus' death didn't atone for our sins, even though scripture says it implicitly. People, it's all about God's word. Either you believe it's God's word, you believe it is the infallible, inerrant, God-breathed word of God, or you don't. If it ain't, then throw it all away. If it is, then you have to believe every jot, every tittle, and you have to understand it. Amen? Our country is falling apart. Men don't know how to be men. Women don't know how to be women. We got non-binary, whatever that means. The reality is we have this identity crisis because we won't believe the word of God. The Bible says that he created us male and female. Isn't that what it says in Genesis 1? Isn't that what it says in Genesis 2? Come on. The word of God be true and every man be a liar. This is grounds of wife's submission to her husband and is the model of Christ's headship over the church just as Christ's position as the head of the church and its savior does not vary from culture to culture neither does the headship of a husband in relation to his wife and her duty to submit to her husband that does not change from culture to culture if you are in Christ you are to submit to your husband if you're in Christ you're to love your wife like Christ loved the church. That's not bound by cultural differences. The head of this word, caliphate, here clearly refers to a husband's authority over his wife and cannot mean source. As some have argued, that the man is just simply the source for the woman. This is a lie. In fact, there is no sense in which a husband is the source for his wife, either physically or spiritually. In addition, in over 50 examples of the word kelephel in ancient Greek, literature, in ancient Greek literature, with the idea of the person A is the head of person B. Person A has authority over person B in every case that this word is used. Now I want to take you to a verse that's going to prove to you that this is what the word head means. It means authority, okay? I want to show you how this implies. Go with me to Ephesians 1. We're going to flip right to the beginning of the same book that we are in, Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to read verse 22, okay? Because the same word is used right here, okay? And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. Who's he talking about? Christ. 
we know that Christ is the head of the church. That's the word caliphate, okay? If you want to know how to spell that, let me go back and I'll give it to you, okay? I'll give you the spelling for this Greek word because I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. I haven't started my Greek grammar studies yet, okay? So you have to give me a break. But the word is K-E-P-H-A-L-E. Okay? And that word is head. And the word used is almost always, nearly every single time when it says somebody's the head, it means person A is in authority over person B. Christ is the head of the church. Amen? Now let's go to another verse. Uh, verse, uh, what's the next verse? Uh, Colossians 2.10. This is another good one, okay? And we're going to come back to Colossians and read a few more things out of Colossians. But we're just going to go to Colossians 2.10 right now and look at this word as it appears again. Uh, and it's talking about Christ. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Now it's talking about Christ again. And it says that he's the head over all rule and authority. What is he saying? Well, Christ is authority above every ruler and above every authority. He's the head. Amen? Amen. That's the way this word, caliphate, is used. It means Authority. It's talking about the husband is in a position of authority. Now, this doesn't mean the husband walks around with his thumb on his wife and just tells her every little thing to do. No, that means the husband dies to himself, dies to his wants, dies to his needs, dies to, right? That's what Christ did for the church, right? We got, we got to put this word in its proper place when it's talking about husbands because we're also to submit one to another. Amen? And that's an argument that, and I'm going to use this big word, there's two different sides to this argument. And I'm a complementarian. What does that mean? I believe that the Bible absolutely depicts men as the head of the house and wives as submitted to their husbands. I believe that wholeheartedly. I believe that God created men and women totally equal in him, but with distinct roles. And it's a role that we see throughout the rest of Scripture. But an egalitarian, which is the other side of this coin, thinks that there's no distinctions between genders and that God didn't make men the head of anything. Although we can see God made his covenant with Men all throughout scripture. Even when he sent his son into the world. Come on. Was Jesus a man or was he a woman? I'm not trying to be, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Chauvinistic. I'm not being chauvinistic. I'm being real. We really see God making a covenant with men throughout Scripture. We really see men being held accountable for the covenants that they make. And we see men all throughout Scripture being held accountable for their family, for their homes, for their countries. 
right? Do you realize even in, even in the law, women didn't have to go to temple. They were not ordered to. But every male that was over 12 years old had to go to the temple three times a year to be a Hebrew and to be a practicing Hebrew. You went three times a year. It was the male child that was God's first pick. The firstborn male, whether it was animal or human being, was God's. That was in the law. It was the male who was circumcised at eight days old to prove that he was in covenant with God. This is absolutely spelled out throughout Scripture. That doesn't mean women don't have a role to play in the home or in the family of God. Absolutely, women have done mighty great things in the church. Amen? Can I, can I get a hallelujah amen from somebody? Women are absolutely valuable, absolutely necessary to the gospel mission. Amen? Women are absolutely fundamentally necessary in the home. And just because it says men have authority or they're the head doesn't mean they're the boss. Just check your wife. <coughs> Amen? Doesn't necessarily mean you're always the boss. Matter of fact, most of the time, the wife says, I want to do this. And whether the husband wants to or not, because he loves his wife and gives himself up for her, quite often does what she wants to do. Amen. Come on. I'm not, I'm not being chauvinistic. I'm going with what the word of God says. Amen. Now, so far, we've only gone to uh, Ephesians, okay? So let's flip over to Colossians 3, since we're already here. Just flip the page, if you have an ESV yet, flip the page one time. We're going to go to Colossians verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 18. Now, I want you to note this, Mike, before verse 18, is there a heading in your Bible? What does it say? Put on the new man. Now, right here in mine, right before verse 18 of chapter 3 of Colossians, it says rules for Christian households. That's what mine says before verse 18 of chapter 3 of Colossians. Husbands and wives, right. Why? Because Paul is again going to address wives and husbands the first one that we read was to the church in Ephesus. This is to the church in Colossae. Okay? That's who the Colossians are. It's the church in Colossae. Or Colossae, however you want to say it. Watch this. Verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, Love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So every man that's just a jerk face to his wife for no reason, the Bible says that's wrong, right? It says right here, he's directing this to men. Why is he telling men, don't be harsh with your wife? 
But why he's saying this is because you have a position of authority, but it's not yours to just thumb your wife down with and to just be as nasty and she just has to do any old thing I say. That's not what the position's for. Amen? Now watch this. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Now right here we have Paul addressing wives, addressing husbands, addressing children. Amen? And then he addresses fathers. Specifically. See, my relationship with my wife is different than my relationship with my children. My wife does not have to listen to everything I say to her. Submission doesn't mean obedience, okay? Doesn't mean, I, I say, hey, woman, go get me a glass of milk. She can look at me and go, you better get up off the couch and go get your own glass of milk, right? Now, my kids can't say that to me. Why? Because they're to obey, right? Look what it says. Children, obey your parents. Notice it does not tell the wife to obey the husband. It says to submit. What does the word submit imply? That means while Judy don't want to get up and go to church on Wednesday night, <laughs> and she might have a headache, and Mike says, hey, we're going to go to church, Judy might just say, I don't really want to go, but I'm going to submit, and I'm going to go, right? Children don't get that luxury. They're to obey, right? Why? Because there's consequences. Like Now, look, if I don't obey Carmen, she might ride me a little bit, give me a hard time, might yell at me once or twice, but she ain't going to whoop me, okay? And I ain't going to spank her if she ain't do what I said, right? Now, my children, on the other hand, amen? Come on. My children, on the other hand, may have to get corrected. Right? Come on. Let's be real. We're talking real stuff. This is in the Bible. Right? Am I reading something that ain't there? I'm reading exactly what it says. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. So here's my question. Children, why are you to obey? Not just because we're your mom and dad. You're to obey because it pleases God. Amen? Why does that please God? Because it's one of the commandments. The only, the first commandment with a promise, right? Children, obey your parents. For this is pleasing to the Lord, right? What if we go back to the, the commandment, the Ten Commandments. Why? Because he says, so it'll go well with you. Right? In the land that the Lord your God is going to give you. Right? Got a little note on this one. I'm going to read it real quick. Wives, submit to your husband. Instead of telling wives to obey, as was typical in Roman households, Paul appeals to them to submit based on his conviction that men have a God-given leadership role in the family. The term suggests an ordering of society in which wives should align themselves and respect the leadership of their husband. Ephesians 2, or Ephesians 5, 22 and 20, or 22 to 33, which we have already read. Amen? 
Paul is not enjoying, uh, enjoining wives to follow the prevailing culture patterns of the day. This is a massive statement that they're making in this ESV study Bible, okay? Paul is not enjoining them, the wives, to follow the prevailing cultural patterns of the day, but to live as fitting in the Lord. Amen? Wives, could you follow the pattern of this world and just, oh, I don't have to listen to you. I don't have to do that. I don't have to submit. Yeah, you could do that, but that's not fitting in the Lord. What does he mean? If you're in Christ, you're supposed to submit. And men, if you're in Christ, you're not to lord it over your wife. You're to die for her. Die to yourself, your wants, your needs. Put her first. Amen? We're, we're to do that as Christians anyway, preferring one another before ourselves, right? That's what the Bible says. Some uh, seven times in these nine verses, Colossians 3, 18 through 4, 1, Paul roots his instructions in the Lord or an equivalent term, thus stressing the importance of evaluating everything in light of Christ and his teaching. This is important stuff. Let's go to my next set of verses so we don't get lost right here. First Peter. If you don't know where 1 Peter is, it's right before 2 Peter. I know you love it when I say that. 1 Peter, chapter 3. Now, this is an important verse here, too, okay? Because now we're not just talking about Paul, right? We realize that Colossians was written by Paul. We realize that Ephesians was written by Paul. And now we have Peter. Okay, this is important because it's not just Paul. Amen. First Peter chapter three. Starting at verse one, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the uh, by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or clothing uh, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, which uh, with the imperishable, uh, imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is in God's sight, very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now here Peter has said a whole mouthful, okay? 
But Peter writes his understanding of their submission in how Sarah submitted to Abraham. Okay? Why is he doing that? Because he's showing you the patriarchs did this, and it was good, and it was honorable to God. Amen? And then he says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Show honor to the woman. Show honor. What does the King James say right there in verse uh, 7? Go ahead and read it to me. God is not going to listen to a husband that is not honoring his wife. That's what Peter's saying, okay? You can't get anything else out of that, okay? He's telling you, if you are not honoring your wife, it's going to hurt you. Amen? Now, I would move even, he said, it's going to hinder your prayers. I'm telling you, it's going to hinder more than that in your life if you're not honoring your wife. It's going to hinder your relationship. It's going to hinder your relationship with your children. It's going to let them see mom and dad in a way that they don't need to be looking at mom and dad. They're going to see contention. And that's part of the curse is that contention. I got a verse here I want to, or a note I want to read very quickly. Uh, three one, three one, three one. There we go. <clears throat> Husbands are to be the leaders in their home, and guess what they give as a reference for this here in Peter. Okay, husbands are to be leaders in the home. Ephesians five twenty two through thirty three, Colossians three eighteen and nineteen, which we have already read both of those. And wives are to are to submit or subject themselves. And follow their leadership. If a wife is unbelief, or if a wife has an unbelieving husband who is disobedient to the word, the gospel, she should not try to pressure him into converting. Instead, her godly conduct will testify without a word to the truth of the gospel. Your own husbands. Scripture never says that the woman in general are to be subject subjected to men in general. But it does affirm male leadership in the home, Titus 2, 5, which we are going to read, and in the church, also in 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 15, which we will get to. Also, 1 Timothy 3, 2 through 3, Scripture affirms the equality of men and women as being made in the image of God, Genesis 1, 27, 1 Peter 3, 7, but they have different roles absolute fact absolutely a fact let's go to Titus 2 flip back to just before Hebrews and you'll find Titus and we're going to go to Titus chapter 2 now every one of these verses people get very up in arms with because they don't like what scripture says here and Look, I don't blame them. It's not comfortable 
talking about these things all the time. Why? Because my flesh doesn't like hearing that I have to deny myself and think of my wife first. Because I like, you know, uh, Camaros and, you know, fast cars and hot rods. I like all that stuff, right? Wives don't like hearing it because they don't want to listen to their goofy husband that's just dumber than a bag of rocks, right? Like, why do I want to submit to him, right? That's the problem, ain't it, Jude? Half the time, you're looking at Mike going, this guy, this guy right here, and I know there's people looking at me as their pastor going, really? That guy is the pastor? But the reality is it has nothing to do with superiority. And everything to do with God's order. Amen? So Titus 2, uh, we're going to start at verse 2. Now, before I say anything else, I want to show you that there's also here what we're about to read is going to show you that women are valuable in the church and in the home for teaching. And men are too. And it's telling you the older men teach the younger men and the older women teach the younger women, right? This is the ideal way of discipleship. And it starts in the home with fathers teaching their sons and mothers teaching their daughters. Amen? Let's read it. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, Sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderous nor slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and to train the young women to love their husbands and their children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that the that an opponent may not be uh, that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Now, here's the thing. Did you notice that it's older men teaching younger men, older women teaching younger women? And why? What are they teaching them? Why are you saying all of these things he's telling a whole nother group of people, right? Can somebody tell me where Titus was the pastor? Timothy was in Ephesus. Right? Where was Titus? Anybody remember? Because I don't. I bet I can find out. Watch this. Here, you find out for me, Kyle. I'm going to read a note here, okay? I know the front of your uh, Bible should tell you, or the chapter should tell you. So Titus 2, I have a little note here that I'm going to read. It says, instructions to older women and younger women is intertwined because of the role of a Christian. Older women is to train. To, huh? Crete, right. This is a whole other part of the world. 
Crete is an island, right? Crete is an island, and that's where Titus was at, okay? So now we have three separate churches that Paul is sending letters to telling the wives to submit to husbands, right? And showing order in the church, okay? And then we have Peter sending his letter out that says the same thing. So we have four different groups of people thus far getting instructions that men are to be the head and that wives are to submit to their own husband. Amen? Now we have a way of teaching our young men and a way of teaching our young women. And it's to be done by the older men teaching the younger men and the older women teaching the younger women. Amen? The instructions to older women and younger women is intertwined because of the part, uh, because part of the role of a Christian older woman is to train, to give instruction in wise behavior and good judgment the younger women. The topic is, uh, the topics compromising the teaching of the older women in verse 4 to 5 are very practical and focused on the domestic sphere. Working at home does not prohibit working outside the home. This verse is not to be used to try to tell women, you can't go get a job. That's not what it's saying. What it's saying is a wife's responsibility is going to be and should be, first of all, for her home. Amen? And husbands, so is yours, okay? Your first responsibility is not to your job. It's to your family. Amen? The job serves the family, not the other way around. Amen? And that's the same for women. The job does not... Uh, the job is not the important thing. The family is the important thing. And that's what we should get out of this. Amen? Uh, but this does not prohibit working outside of the home. But it does indicate that Paul expects wives to carry out the primary responsibility of the day-to-day -day care of the home and the children. Yet, it is to be done while submissive while being submissive to their own husbands, supporting their husband's leadership role in the family. See also notes, <laughs> and he, again, five, uh, Ephesians 5, 22, Ephesians 5, 23 through 24. While other instructions could be included, the focus here is on older women helping younger women learn about being godly wives and mothers. Amen? That is the focus of this text. 100% correctly, they assume this, right? So let's go to 1 Corinthians 11. I told you we were going to go there. And this one is the one that people go, oh, no, that's just talking about head coverings. Well, before we read this, I want to reiterate what we've already understood. We have already understood that the word caliphate or head, right, means authority. Right? Christ is the head of the church. Right? And that word head there is meaning authority. That's the word that we have used here. Okay? So let's read it. And we're going to get it in context. Starting at verse 2. 
Now, I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them unto you. Oh, and my, yeah, I'm going to read that one. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of the wife, or the head of a wife, is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. Now, this is very interesting. Well, hold on. The, the head of Christ is God? Yes. What he's saying here is even in the Trinity, even though God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all equal, God the Father is in the role of authority in the Godhead. It's absolutely proven in Scripture. Jesus said, I did not come to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. Right. Amen? The Holy Spirit doesn't give us whatever he thinks or wants to say. He gives what he hears. Christ said, and Christ did not say anything that he didn't hear the Father say. Right? So we understand when he's saying Christ God is the head of Christ. What he's saying is the Father, even in the Godhead, is in the role of authority. Okay? This is proven throughout Jesus' ministry. Amen? That's not a bad thing. They are all equal. They are all one. They are all God. Distinct roles. Distinct. Just like the family. Just like the wife and the husband are both in Christ, there's no difference between male and female, just like Galatians says, in Christ. But Galatians is not talking about the role of pastor, and it's not talking about the role of husband. It's saying in Christ there's no difference between Jew and Greek, slave and free, male and female. He's not saying that there's no roles. He's not saying that men can have babies. He's not saying that, you know, women can... Never mind, I'll leave that one alone. Uh, I was going to say something that probably wouldn't be appropriate for camera, so I'll leave it alone. But we see here, again, it says, the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. Who's he dishonoring? He's dishonoring Christ. Christ is his head. Christ is his authority. Amen? But every wife who prays and prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Who's her head? The Bible said it just two verses ago. Her head, her authority is her husband. So who is she dishonoring? Her husband. Right? Why? Because he's her head. This is absolutely the context. It's talking about head coverings, sure. But it's also telling you that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of every wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. That was the sentence that opens this whole discussion about head coverings up. Right? We cannot divorce that from all the other places in the New Testament that we have read to this point that say that the man is the head of his wife. It says it in Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, 1 Peter 3, Titus 2. We can't ignore all that. 
So when it starts out this discussion about head coverings with a specific sentence like this, I want you to understand that the head, the head of every man is Christ, and the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. That's the sentence that opens up the discussion of head coverings. In, obviously, in Corinthian, or in Corinth, Corinth, excuse me, the cultural norm of the day, when women went to pray, they were expected to wear a head covering. That was cultural. But men being the head of the house or the head of the wife is not cultural. That's grounded in scripture. It's grounded in Paul's understanding of men and women and their roles. Amen? So let's finish reading. But if a wife, but every wife who prays and prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head since it is the same as if she had a shaven head. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or to shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and the glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For man was made from, uh, for, for man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Now I want you to notice that his reasoning here again is pre-fall. It's before the fall. So it has nothing to do with the supposed curse of Genesis 3 and has everything to do with the order of creation. The man was made first, then the woman, right? That's his reasoning. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Now, notice that it says that's why a wife ought to have an, a symbol of authority on her head. Now, what is the cultural understanding today of you being married? How do, how do I walk into a room and know you're married nowadays, Judy? You have a ring on. That ring says, I'm his. Your ring says, I'm hers. Right? That's our coverings now. Symbol of our union. It's a symbol of submission to each other. Right? While the head covering was cultural, the idea of man being the head of the wife was not cultural. It's grounded in the creation order. And Paul says, not only was man made first, but woman was made for man, not man for woman. Amen? Now, any person that is trying to tell you that there's no distinction between men and women and that God hasn't given man the role of head in the home, how, much, how far past time am I? 7.33, okay, I'm going to hurry through this thing. Okay, <clears throat> I got one little note I want to read on this, and I'm going to read it quick. But, but 
shows that Paul has quickly moved from condemnation to connection with the wife. See ESP footnote. Since a woman's head covering is a first century Roman society was a sign of marriage, Paul's practical concern is this in this passage is not the relationship between men and women generally, but with the relationship between husbands and wives. Head is something that is said in the Greek. Kalathe means source, but is in over 50 examples of this expression. Person A is the head of person B. Found in ancient Greek manuscripts, person A has authority over person B. In every case, therefore, it is best understood as head and not source. Here, as a reference metaphorically to the authority of a husband, Ephesians 1.22, Ephesians 5.23, Colossians 2.10. As with the authority of Christ over the church, this is not the self-centered exercise of power, but leadership that takes care to serve the spiritual, emotional, and physical needs of the wife. That's the purpose that this headship is for. Men are to take care of their wives like Christ took care of his church. Amen? Now, Paul's basis for male leadership in the church and in the home is based on the first three chapters of Genesis. Not cultural identities. Paul focuses his argument on the creation order. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to get through this whole thing. I want you to understand that I'm not making this up. That this isn't me. This is scripture. This is what scripture is teaching us. And we need to submit to what scripture says. 1 Timothy chapter 2, and we're going to start at verse 11. And it says this. Let women learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For now, I want you to get this. I'm going to reread this. Verse 11 and 12 are pivotal because verse 13 gives you the answer why he thinks this, okay? Let a woman learn quietly with all submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Why? For Adam was formed first. Then Eve. Isn't that what your Bible says, Mike? The reason that she's not to teach or exercise authority in the church over a man is not based on the curse of the fall in chapter 3, but creation order in chapter 2. Because Adam was formed first. Now he gives a twofold reason, but the first thing he says is because Adam was formed first. Now watch this. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. So his twofold reason is Adam was formed first and Eve was deceived, not Adam. Adam did not sin deceptively. He wasn't deceived into eating the fruit. He willfully disobeyed God. 
Eve, on the other hand, was deceived by the serpent. She even says so when she speaks to God. The servant, or the serpent, deceived me and I ate. Right? So we understand Paul's reasoning for man being the head is rooted firstly because man was created first. Okay? I couldn't read this big old long note from Ephesians, uh, on, uh, on Timothy, but I'm not going to. I have thoroughly made a case here in the New Testament that men are the head of the house. There's absolutely no doubt about it. Okay? Now, I want to take you to Genesis chapter 1. I told you we were going to be in Genesis, and we're going to close this out, okay? I'm going to do this just as fast as I can because we are pressed for time. But Genesis, Paul does not root his understanding of why women are subjected to men from Genesis 3. I want you to go to Genesis 3 for me, and I want you to read this verse with me, okay? This is what people who say, well, no, that, that was part of the curse. That's why, we're, that's why men are over women. No, it's not part of the curse. It's part of God's creative order. Amen? Now, uh, maybe I do need to read this note for you real quick. Just because I believe it says something about this, okay? I don't want you to miss this. I want you to get all the information that I came here with. Can I get an amen? Uh, 1 Timothy 2. I have a note here that I want to read to you. Verse 12, I do not permit. Paul self-consciously uh, self writes with the authority of an apostle rather than simply offering his opinion. This statement is given in context of Paul's apostolic instruction to the church for ordering of church practice when churches assemble together. In that context, two things are prohibited. Women are not permitted to publicly teach scripture and or Christian doctrine to men in the church, uh, the context implies the, uh, these topics. And two, women are not permitted to exercise authority over men in the church. The references are both teaching and exercising authority here is within the context of the local assembly church. Women teaching other women and women teaching children are not in view here and both are encouraged elsewhere in scripture, which we read in Titus chapter 2, verse 4, women teaching children. And in for, uh, 2 Timothy 1, 5. Uh, nor does this passage have in view the role of women in leadership situations outside of the church, business, or government. Women can do all of those things. The presence of the word or between teach and to exercise authority indicates that two different activities are in view, not a single activity of authoritative teaching or exercising of authority. Found only here in the New Testament. Over 80 examples of this word exist in the New Testament. However, clearly established that the meaning is exercising authority or usurping authority abuse of authority as sometimes has been argued since the role of pastor elder overseer is rooted in the task of teaching and exercising authority over the church this verse would also exclude women from serving in that office now 
For these instructions, the biblical basis of the prohibition, Paul indicates that the prohibition is based on two grounds. The first being the order of creation, Adam was formed first, and the second was the deception of Eve. Formed is the same term that is used in the subjugate in Genesis 2, 7, and 8, which evidently refers to creation. 1 Corinthians 11, 8, and 9, Paul's argument indicates that gender roles in the church are not simply the result of the fall, but are rooted in creation, therefore apply to all cultures. That's what I wanted to read to you. Paul's argument is not on the verse in Genesis that we're about to read. Go to Genesis 3, and we're going to read this verse. This is God talking to Eve after she has sinned and ate the fruit. Okay? <clears throat> and the Lord said to the woman, verse 16, To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing, and in pain shall you bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now I want to read a note very quickly here on this verse, verse 16. By the way of punishing the woman for her sin of disobedience, God pronounces that she will suffer pain in bearing children. This strikes the very heart of the woman's distinctiveness, for she is the mother of all living, which Adam names her. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. These words from the Lord indicate that there will be an ongoing struggle between the woman and the man for leadership in the marriage relationship. The leadership role of the husband and the complementary relationship between husband and wife that were ordained by God before the fall have now been deeply damaged and distorted by sin. So what is happening here is the distortion of the leadership role. The woman now will not want to be submitted to the husband. How do I know that that's what's going on here? Now, I want you to notice what it says. He shall rule over you. This same term is used when Cain kills Abel. God comes to Cain and says, sin is crouching at your door. And it seeks to have you. But you must rule over it. This is the curse. It's part. He's telling you. There's sin involved here. So the, the leadership part of this was ordained before this curse is applied. What's happening here is no longer will the woman be satisfied with being in subjection or submission to her husband. Yet Paul roots his understanding from verse or chapter Two, okay? Now, before I read chapter two, I'm going to read chapter one because I want you to understand that I'm not saying that men are better than women or men are superior to women in God's eyes because we're created equal in God's eyes. He created man, male and female, created he them in his image, right? Let's read it. Verse 26 of chapter 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. 
So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply on the face of the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and the heavens and over the every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed. I'm not going to read the rest of it. You get it. Amen? He made them equal. But it's giving, it is not giving you the distinctiveness of how they were created either, is it? So when I say that Paul is making his argument on creation order, he's making his argument from Genesis 2. And in Genesis 2, what we see is in verse 7, man is created first, right? Genesis 2, chapter 7. Let's read. Genesis 2, chapter 2, verse 7, excuse me. Uh, then the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. You jump down to verse 15, and the Lord God took man. Eve still has not been created yet. God created a garden. God took the man and put him in the garden. Verse 15, the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Okay, so God makes man first. And then gives man responsibility. And then he gives man the law. Verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man saying. You may surely eat of every tree in the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You should not eat. For in the day that you eat it. You shall surely die. So man was created distinctively different than woman. He was created first. He was given a job. And then he was given a commandment. A law to follow. And then, in verse 18, then the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. This is what Paul says when he says, man was not made for woman, but woman for man. Why? Because man was made first and God said, it's not good for man to be alone. And I will make him a helper fit for him. I'm almost done. <clears throat> Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to man to see what he would call them and whatever the man called them, every living creature, that was its name. So here Adam is exercising his God-given authority naming these things. Okay? The man gave all the names to the livestock, the birds of the heaven, the beasts of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up in its place the flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into woman and brought her to man. Then the man said, this is at last bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And that was the reasons that Paul gives for men as leaders in the home because man was made first and not woman. And woman was made for man, not man for woman. Amen. So we see that Paul's understanding of authority or headship did not depend on chapter 3 of the fall, but of chapter 2 of creation. Amen? Why am I bringing all this up? Why does it matter? Because we are fighting a culture war that says men can't be men, 
And women can't be women. And if you try to be a regular man and don't support people not being regular men, you're a hypocrite. You're being unloving and unkind. But in reality, they're wanting you to follow sin, to follow after the ways of this world, the cultural advances of this world. And they want you to deny the very truth of Scripture that said man was made the head of his home. And that women are to submit to their husbands. And that husbands are to love their wives like Christ loved the church. Gave himself for her. The culture doesn't want to hear this. But it is absolutely true. That men and women, though they are equal in God's sight, have distinct and different roles to play. Not only in the home, but in the, in, in the, in the church of Jesus Christ. And it's very important that we know how to defend what the Bible says about gender, about male and female roles, about husbands and wives, about the nuclear family. And if we don't know how to answer those questions and don't know how to live our life godly in Christ Jesus, loving my wife like she loved, like Christ loved the church and her submitting unto me as unto Christ, we're going to lose this culture war. And the church is headed this direction right now. All because we don't want to believe the Bible and believe what it says. What it says very plainly. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we just ask. I know this was a very tough subject, God, and we went a long time to get through it all. God, I pray that you would help us as a church to understand what it means to be a godly man, what it means to be a godly woman, what it means to be a godly family, what it means to be a godly church, that we would not shy away from what your, your word teaches about these things, God, but that we would hold fast to what we know to be true. And God, we pray that you would help us to stand firm on what your word teaches. That we would not be moved by cultural ideas or cultural uh, 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 biases that would want us to just, just, you don't have to hold to that old way of thinking. Lord, your word is not old. It's not, it's living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. It divides the soul and the spirit, the bone and the marrow and the thoughts and the intent of the heart. The thoughts and the intent of the heart that would divide family is the same place that divides men and women, that divides husbands and wives, that divides these gender walls, God. And we, we stand firm against that. And we ask that you would help us to do it in love, but help us to preach the truth also. Preaching love without truth is an error. And preaching truth without love is an error, and I think we need both. Help us to preach this truth in love, and help us all to grow up in Christ Jesus, that we would love one another and submit ourselves one to another. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.